you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of your career and life, to starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Own Your Career podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you are joining me today because I've had another great conversation to help you take your career to the next level. And that's, of course, what this podcast and my book and everything I do is all about, helping you, helping others own your career and really take things to the next level. And I've got a great conversation for you today. Before we get into that, of course, I always want to mention this podcast is sponsored by my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It's available now on Amazon. And if you haven't read that yet, go out and get a copy because it is absolutely going to change your life. It is going to help you accomplish more in your career and in your life. I put everything in there that I've used in my own career to get me to exactly where I want to be to design the career and the life and the business that I want. And I'm so excited about where I am today and where I'm going. And it's because I've done all the things that are in there. Yes, I'm doing different things all the time. Yes, I'm still learning and growing and I'm not perfect by any means. But I figured a lot of things out through trial and error and through investing in myself and learning from others. I mean, I've invested thousands and thousands of dollars in coaches and masterminds and all the things that I've learned to get me to where I am. And I put a lot of that in the book. So if you haven't read the book yet, I highly recommend you get that. We also have some free bonus resources on our website. If you go to ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus, uh, there's a lot of great free stuff there uh, that I give you. Once you download those and you get on my email list, we'll also send some information about the new online course that I'm launching, and you'll be the first to find out about the new virtual summit that we're hosting in just a couple months. Now, today's conversation is about figuring out what your genius zone is, the work that you truly love to do, and spending more time in that genius zone and less time doing work that doesn't really fill you up. And my guest today is going to help you figure that out. This is the third time that I have interviewed him, uh, probably more than just about anybody else who has been on the podcast. In fact, I know that is true. And it's with good reason because he is a really, really special guy who has made a very big impact on the world. His name is Dr. Gay Hendricks, and he has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind transformation for more than 45 years. After earning his PhD from Stanford in 1974, Gay served as professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years. He's written more than 40 books, including bestsellers such as Five Wishes, The Big Leap, Conscious Loving and Conscious Loving After After, uh, the last two he wrote with his wife of 35 years, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. He's also written some mystery novels, and he has appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, and this podcast three times now, so you know it's good stuff. His new book, The Genius Zone, was published in June of 2021, and it is all about helping people spend more time in their zone of genius. So first of all, if you have not read The Big Leap, I highly recommend it. It is a book that I discovered from listening to a podcast years ago, and it was transformational for me. I remember reading it and, and really discovering these ideas of upper limit problems and upper limit challenges, and also the different places or zones that you can be working in, the zone of incompetence, which is that zone where you're doing work that you're not even very good at it, and other people could definitely do it better. The zone of competence, which is a job that you're doing that you you can do fairly well, but you know other people could do better. There's the zone of excellence, which is something that you do better than most people, but it's still not something that's really filling you up. 
And then there's that zone of genius, the genius zone, which is the work that you can do better than anybody. And it really, really lights you up, fills you up. It's the work that you would be doing all the time. Even if nobody was paying you, you'd be doing that kind of work. Dr. Hendricks, in his new book and in this interview, we're going to talk about how do you spend more time in that genius zone. We also go back and talk about some of the things from The Big Leap, The Upper Limit Challenges. Gay shares a really funny story about an early book that he published and what happened when groups in Indiana started burning his book and what that did for sales. Uh, So you want to check that out. And there's just so many great tidbits in this uh, interview. I'm excited for you to listen to it. So get your notepad ready. Get ready to take some good notes and take some action to spend more time in your genius zone and let me know what you think. All right. Without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Gay Hendricks, all about spending time in the genius zone. Gay Hendricks, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much, Andy. It's a real pleasure to be talking to you again. I know. I think this is our third time now talking. I interviewed you about The Big Leap a couple of years ago. And then when your last book came out, The Joy of Genius, and your interviews are always phenomenal. I love sharing all of your insights with our audience and especially with people who are looking for more ways to own their careers and find more success and fulfillment in life. And so I was excited to get you back on and talk about your new book, The Genius Zone. So I wonder if we could just start with just a tiny bit of background on The Big Leap and how that came about for people that are not that familiar with the book. Well, The Big Leap came out about uh, 12 or 13 years ago and has been a big bestseller in the business and entrepreneurial area, as well as a personal growth area for the last 12 or 13 years. And I now have uh, published The Genius Zone, which is the sequel to The Big Leap. It's all the stuff that I've learned since 2009 when The Big Leap came out. The Big Leap is about two big things. It's about uh, what I call the upper limit problem. Mm -hmm. And it's about what I call the genius zone. And the upper limit problem is about how we sabotage ourselves and keep ourselves operating at a lower level of vibrance and a lower level of success than we possibly could because of internal limiting beliefs that we have. And so in the big leap, I show what those beliefs are that keep people stuck. And I also show how that underneath those beliefs are really a set of fears that human beings need to come to terms with and transcend in order to be successful. So the big leap lays all that out and also touches on what I call uh, the genius zone, which is the title of the new book. And the genius zone is when you're operating in that, basically when you're doing what you most love to do, that also makes the biggest contribution to people around you, the world in general, your family, your friends. And The genius zone is all about how to operate from within that zone rather than slipping out into your zones of excellence or competence or incompetence. I love that. And I want to dive into that. Before we do, to go back to the first thing, the upper limit beliefs, upper limit problem, I remember reading your book, The Big Leap. I remember where I was actually sitting at a pool with my wife reading that book and just excitedly telling her about, oh my gosh, these upper limit problems. I've seen this so many times. I never really realized what was going on. Can you give an example of, I know you've worked with tons of CEOs and business leaders of where you've seen this, especially in like the corporate world where people run into these upper limit problems. 
A classic example that I worked with early on, and I kept noticing this over and over again, is an executive would have a big breakthrough, create a new product or something goes well, and there would be a big rush of good feeling and success at work. And then the person would go home and have a big blow up with his family or her family. Mm. And that's the upper limit problem in action, where you have something good happen, and then something in you doesn't feel like you deserve to have that good thing happen. And so you find a way to uh, sabotage yourself through Mm -hmm. either worrying too much or starting an argument or having an accident or getting sick. Or uh, a lot of times it's simply starting a conflict with another person is a sure sign of an upper limit problem. Because upper limit problems occur in relationships, not just in the world of success and In fact, I would say that probably most people are familiar with the upper limit problem if they've ever tried to lose weight or make a dietary change. What happens with nine out of 10 people is they have a little bit of early success. They go on their diet and they lose a few pounds the first day and then lose a couple more pounds and they say, wow, I've got this thing made. And then something comes over them and they go open a jar of uh, a pound and a half jar of peanut butter and uh, end up scraping the last little bit out with their finger. Uh, But uh, that's the upper limit problem where you have something good happen and then you don't feel like you deserve it and you squash yourself back down again. Yeah, I've noticed that not only you talk about a couple of things there, one where people start to achieve success and then in one area and sabotage themselves and others. Also, I've seen this so many times where people really don't believe that they deserve the success that they're achieving or that they're worthy of accomplishing it. I have one good friend who has become very successful in business, makes very good money. And he's always telling me he's always really anxious and worried. And I asked him about it and he admitted that I just don't feel like I deserve the success I've had. I feel like I'm a fraud and people are going to find out one day. How do you help people with that, with that fear, that kind of imposter syndrome that like, I'm not good enough for this success I'm achieving? Well, with fear, the first step is simply being aware of it and not just as a mental thing, but where are you feeling that in your body? Is it a a stirring of butterflies in your belly or is it a real tight stomach or just what is exactly fear feel like to you? So you got to befriend your fear. So the first step is through awareness to just get more at ease in, in being uh, a person who gets scared sometimes, like the rest of us human beings. Yeah, we've had we've had exactly the same wiring in us for fear for millions of years, and so we didn't invent this thing. It came wired in our bodies. The trick is learning how to deal with it so it doesn't slow you down. So the first step is being aware of it. The step, the second step, is to open up and exactly find out what exactly your fear is of. Like in the big leap, I lay out three or four big fears. One is that one you touched on. I'm afraid that I'm fundamentally flawed in some way. That's a very big one. And, you know, I've, I've worked with people from incarcerated prisoners all the way up to movie stars and Grammy winners and folks like that. And everybody has these kinds of things. You don't need to feel bad about it. Um, I mean, it's really amazing to me when I've had somebody in here who's you know, just recently won an Oscar, for example, 
but wants to give it back because they don't feel like they deserve it. Mm. You know, wow, that's, you know, that's a level of pain that yeah. it's hard to get in touch with. But in one way or the other, we all have these kinds of fears. And one is the fear that there's something fundamentally flawed about us. Another is a big fear of outshining other people. A lot of us have a, a mm. good thing in us, which says, I want everybody else to shine, you know, but what happens is a lot of people put themselves second all the time and don't allow themselves to win at least part of the time. They keep themselves in a second or third uh, position. So what I want is for everybody to know that the more you shine, the more it inspires other people to shine. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want is a whole bunch of people around the earth operating in what I call your genius zone. I mean, wouldn't you rather live on a planet where everybody was expressing their highest potential? I mean, to me, that's the that's what I'm in this for. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because someday I want everyone on earth to feel the power of what it's like to actually access your genius and to, yeah. to go from not even thinking of yourself as a genius, suddenly to be able to express things in the world that make other people happy and more alive. To me, that is the essence of good living. Yeah, I love that. And it reminds me, you know, sometimes I'm afraid to talk about my accomplishments and things that I've done to become successful because I don't want to be seen as bragging or make other people feel bad. But the flip side is what you're saying is when you do share those things and you do accomplish big things and you are willing to shine, you can inspire a lot more people to say, oh, if he can do that, maybe I can do that too, to find their zone of genius and to, to start going after their big goals and shine as well. That's what I want. I mean, the best thing you can do is to take on your genius as a personal project, you know, to, to make a living commitment. Here's the way I put it to people. Say this over and over and get in your mind. I commit to bringing forth more of my natural genius every day of my life. Isn't that a great idea? Mm -hmm. Is there anything better to base your life on? No. Uh, you know, like everybody has a life purpose, but most people don't know what their life purpose is. Yeah. You know, until I woke up a little bit, I think my life purpose was, let's see how much pain I can tolerate without flinching. Mm. You know, that's not a very good life purpose. And so now my life purpose is to expand in love and abundance and creativity every day as I inspire other people to do the same. And that's been my life purpose for the last 40 or 50 years. And it feels absolutely delicious because I get to live in a world of miracles in a way, because every day when I open my inbox, you know, because the big leap is read by millions of people, I get yeah. my inbox every day is stuffed with miracles, people wanting to tell mm. me about things that have happened as a result of opening up to expressing more of their genius. I love that. And it reminds me, I want to tell you, because you mentioned that in The Big Leap. And ever since I read that book, I have daily affirmations that I recite every morning. And I added that one in there that I expand in abundance, love, and success and I inspire other people to do the same. I've been reciting that every day for the last probably four years, and it's made such an impact. And actually earlier this year, I don't know if you were aware, we've kind of kept in touch a little bit, but I had cancer. I went through a pretty um, serious health journey, totally fine now, but I added to that, that I expand in abundance, love, health, and success, and I inspire others to do the same. And I started sharing a lot of my health journey with the hopes of helping and inspiring others. And I continue to do that now when people reach out and say, oh, my husband also has testicular cancer. Can you give me advice? Things like that. And I, I truly see the whole thing as a blessing, as the, you know, to give me the opportunity to help others. And it's, it's really, really powerful. 
Well, I'm glad you're fine. Yes, I remember last time we talked, you were in that uh, medical adventure. And so I'm glad that's uh, working out well. Medical adventure. I like that. Just one more on the upper limit beliefs. You know, I was kind of reflecting on my own. I'm having published my first book last November. I think it took me quite some time to come to kind of grips and accept the fact that like I am an author now, right? And I was very nervous for the first few months that someone was going to tell me you're a fraud. This book is crap, right? But I've I've totally accepted that now. I'm I'm sending it out to everybody, talking about it all the time, embracing it. You have over 40 books now. You've been on this journey a lot longer than I have. What was your biggest upper limit problem early on in, in your career? Well, I think we get tons of upper limit problems every day. We just don't know really what they mm. are. <laughs> well, I tell you, with my first book, <laughs> talk about an upper limit problem. I, I wrote a book in 1975, came out in 1975. It was called The Centering Book. It was my first book. Mm. When my daughter, I wrote it when my daughter was in the first grade because I used to go volunteer in her classroom sometimes. And I would go in there and I would always notice how much time was being wasted by just the teacher having to herd people around from place to place. And, you know, it would take her sometimes 10 or 15 minutes to get people settled again after they'd been out to recess. And so I constructed a set of activities that I call centering activities, which were ways to get kids relaxed and focused again quickly. And so I published a whole book about this, and it was a surprising hit in the um, education area. But it came to the attention of some very conservative, far authoritarian groups that don't like things like yoga and meditation and relaxation activities and all the yeah. stuff that was in my book. Yeah. And so, so the best thing and the worst thing that happened as far as an upper limit problem, and sometimes upper limit problems, if you work it right, can be the best thing that ever happened because yeah. a group in Indiana burned my book. No. And, and right away, it went, went from selling a couple of thousand copies a month selling like five or 10,000 copies a month <laughs> just by virtue of the fact that some group had burned it and all the publicity. So people looked oh. at that and said, wow, they're burning this book in, in this conservative county. It must be in, good. Yeah, it must be pretty darn good. And then <laughs> I even got a better break. Listen to this. This was even better. A group down in Texas, if I remember correctly, I don't remember what they were called, but they put me in my book on a list of the 250 most dangerous thinkers in America. Wow, that's a list. That's <laughs> a list to be on. But you know what? Here's some of the other people that were on the list. Thomas Jefferson was on the left. Really? Uh, what was the electricity guy? Uh, Thomas Edison? Thomas Edison. He was on the list. Uh, there were so many people that I admired. Henry right. Ford was on the list. Uh, really? And uh, Andrew Carnegie. There were all these people. Um, they were opposed to Andrew Carnegie because he had funded 1400 libraries around the countryside. Oh and of course, gosh. that was just terrible because people were getting in there and reading all these books like oh, my book. <laughs> what, a, what a jerk, what a criminal. <laughs> anyway, so boy, talk about if you ever can get yourself either your book burnt, Andy, or you put on a list of 250 dangerous, <laughs> send them a free copy of the book because you'll sell hundreds of thousands of copies as a result. So oh my uh, it's like uh, Bob Dylan once said, 
there is no such thing as bad publicity. And I, I'm living testimony. Many times I've sat on the beach in Hawaii and raised a, a glass of Mai Tai with my wife to the good people of <laughs> Dallas who burnt my book and uh, put me on the list and uh, made my book an eternal bestseller. I oh. probably still make maybe $1,000 a month from that, something like that, even wow. 50 years later. Yeah. Wow, that is amazing, incredible. <laughs> I want to put this out there now for anybody listening. If you want to burn my book in public, I will send you a copy. Um, just make sure that it's on video and you send it to the local news. So they can see that you're burning it. Tell them it's dangerous. Tell them it's dangerous. Yes. And tell them that I am a very dangerous, most dangerous thinkers. I would love to be on that, on that list. I would be scared, but I'd be glad to be on that. Well, that's, that is cool. That's a cool story. Thank you for sharing that. And speaking of, of, of my book, I talk about owning your career and the importance of really setting a vision for where you want to go with your career, which involves doing some self-reflection which I think a lot of people don't really spend much time doing and thinking about what is it that they would really love to do? What is their so-called genius zone? So can you talk more about that genius zone and how you find that zone of genius so that you can spend more time there? The ideal first step is to ask yourself, what is it that I most love to do? What is it that I would do all day, even if I didn't get paid for it? And if you look over the work you do, I know because I've done this with 25,000 people, I know you will find, even if you have a crappy job, you can find one little thing in it that you love to do. Mm -hmm. So genius is partly based on finding out what you most love to do and finding a way to do that more and more so that ultimately you're doing nothing but what you most love to do, and you're being well as well paid for it as you want to be. In my own case, I started way back in the 80s, and I realized I was only using about 10% of my time was in my genius zone. Hmm. And so I started putting more attention on doing more and more and more of that till I was up to about three hours or about 30% out of my, say, nine-hour day that I was spending my time doing what I most love to do. Then I set the goal for eventually 70%. And then I set the goal for eventually 100%. So by the end of the century, uh, so by the end of 1999, I was operating at 90 to 100%. And I doubt that anybody will ever get to 100% because frankly, you know, I do other things around the house, like I carry out the trash and empty right. the kitty litter and all those kinds of things. So I'm not a genius at any of those. Uh, but in like a, a couple of weeks, I'm flying to New York to give a 45 minute speech and turning around and coming back. So mm. I'm not a genius at being on an airplane, but right. I have to do it. But see, the thing is, start doing more and more of what you already know produces good feeling in yourself. Like for me, Andy, my genius, part of it is the ability to explain really complicated things in a really simple way that people can use them. If you look into the psychological research literature on things like the upper limit problem, fear of success, things like that, you'll see thousands and thousands of studies on it. But a lot of people tell me that when they read The Big Leap, it was the first time they really understood how they do it to themselves. So that's what I'm good at. When I'm not in that zone, I don't feel as happy. If I'm having to do something that's not in my genius zone, I just don't feel as good. And so I've organized my life 
So I virtually have nothing ever I do for the past 20 years that's not in my genius zone. And so what we're doing right now uh, and what I'll be doing at six o'clock tonight when I teach a course and what I'll be doing at noon when I talk to a person in a uh, client in um, uh, the UK, all of these things are all facets of my particular genius. And so what you need to do is find out first what you love to do and then ask yourself some other big questions like, what do I do that makes my biggest contribution per time spent? Like, for example, I um, one time it took me about 10 minutes to put together a whole business model for a business that I invented, ran for several years. Ultimately, I capitalized it for $100,000 and sold it for $10 million. Hmm. So every step of the way, I was asking myself, does this represent my genius? And does this person I'm hiring Am I going to be able to get their genius? Is this a person that, you know, like uh, the first person I called was uh, to hire in this business was a good friend of mine, Arielle Ford, who is a publicist. And so I asked her to join the business. And to me, that was the very first thing that needed to happen was to hire a genius publicist. And the second call was, uh, to another person who's a film scout that goes around to different film festivals because it was a movie business. It was called the Spiritual Cinema Circle. And we went to film festivals and found inspirational movies and sent them to people on uh, the old-fashioned DVDs back then, which was the only thing there was. There was no such thing like downloading or yeah. streaming or anything like that. So um, what I'm saying is that sometimes it doesn't take any time to produce something that has great value if it's in your genius zone. Mm -hmm. And that proved to me that a 10 minute idea could be turned into a $10 million enterprise with a lot of focus on keeping everybody in their genius over the next few years that we mm. ran the business. I love that. For people who are not working in their genius zone, and you know, probably working in companies, right? Because they, they might say, well, if you're an entrepreneur, it's easy to kind of pivot your business and, and find your genius zone, which you and I know from experience, it's not always so easy, but it can, it can be done. But let's say you're working in a career that you don't enjoy that much and you, you figured out what your genius zone is, but it's something very different. It would require a big risk to maybe make that pivot. I'm sure you've worked with people that have had those revelations. You know, wh what advice do you give to help people find the courage or m somehow make that move? Well, first of all, let yourself know that that is the way it is generally for most people. Mm. And so you need not feel alone if you're in that position. But I can tell you specifically what you have to do is start with mapping out carefully what it is you want to do, what it is you love to do, what it is that will make that happen for you if it involves making a transition to another business or in industry or another geography or whatever the big transition is, whatever your big leap is, face the fear directly. Mm. Identify what your genius is and face the fear directly. That is important because unless you face the fear directly, it's going to be at your back pushing on you all the time. If you turn around and face it and say, okay, here I am, come and get me. I invite it. You know, that's the way you deal with fear. You don't deal with it by hiding from it or tucking your head in the ground or trying to 
hold it out. Yeah. You participate with it. Here we say peace of mind can only come through total participation, through openness to your fear rather than trying to shut it out. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I adopted a mantra a few years ago of starving my fears that I took from a book called the, the 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. And I think I even mentioned it in my book that when you let that fear sit there and fester, it only continues to grow. It doesn't ever go away until you actually attack it and you starve it and you just go take that action. And that once you do, you know, you do that a couple of times, it builds that experience, which builds confidence. And you realize that it's really not that bad. And then you can move on to do the next thing, but you can never get there unless you take that first big leap into that scary thing to try to do the thing that you want to do. I agree. And even one step further than that, I think unless you can identify your genius and begin doing it, there's a kind of background noise discontent that most people feel until they can really home in on making their genius part of their life. And so it's an important thing. You know, one of my favorite quotations I put in the book uh, from the Gospel of Thomas says that if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. But if you do not bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. And it's a very useful, valid idea because mm -hmm. happiness comes from revealing our genius. Happiness comes not from trying to control the circumstances of your life, but in a sense, uncontrolling them and putting your attention on what is most important to you, what will fulfill your life purpose while making a contribution to other people's ability to fulfill their life purpose. Mm, that's huge. And, and thinking about fulfilling your life's purpose, which is a mission of mine to fulfill my true potential and purpose and inspire others to do the same. Um, and that's big for a lot of people, but, but people want to be fulfilled and do the work that they love to do, which is getting into that zone of genius. And I was just thinking we should probably back up and provide a little bit of context for those that haven't read The Big Leap or your books in the past, that there are levels to this, right? Go, starting out with your zone of incompetence where <laughs> you're doing activities that you're not even very good at, you shouldn't be doing, right? The zone of competence, which are things that you're, you, you do fairly well, but other people could definitely do them better the zone of excellence where you probably do them better than anybody else, but maybe it doesn't fill you up that much all the way leading up to your zone of genius. So for people listening, thinking, yeah, I'm doing things that I'm, I'm really excel at, but maybe they still have that buzzing behind them. Like you said, that, ah, this is not truly, you know, fulfilling me. The time goes slow. It doesn't go fast when I'm working. You know, I was in a group one time of uh, very high level folks, you know, CEOs and folks like that. And I did a little quick random survey about how much time they actually spent in what I described as my as, as their genius zone. And it was a microscopic amount of time. You know what all of them said? Oh man, my life would be so much better if I just had 10 minutes a day to sit down and think about stuff like that. You know, and here are these people, you know, right. <laughs> most of them were worth a hundred million dollars or more, you know. So what's stopping them? You know, right. you're the boss, you know, you could wave a wand and make everybody in the company, 30,000 people sit down and do that every day. Right. But every, uh, you know, and it speaks to something that I talk about in uh, The Big Leap, Andy, and that is that so many people feel that they're the victim of time. Mm. That, that time, you know, I have a whole chapter in The Big Leap called Einstein Time, where I talk about 
taking charge of time instead of feeling that you're victimized by it, instead of going around saying, oh, gee, I wish I had time to work on my book, or gee, I wish I had time to sit down and think for 10 minutes. Instead of doing that to own time and realize, hey, I'm where time comes from. And my job is to apportion it the way I want to apportion it. And that is a huge shift because so many people fritter away their creative energy by thinking of themselves as the victim of time or the victim of where they are geographically or the victims of the relationships they're in. Whereas we need to take a full enlightened 100% responsibility for all aspects of life if we're going to feel really good and empowered in every moment. Oh, I agree so much. And I want more people to really understand that, that you do own your schedule, you own your time. A lot of people don't realize that they are the victims of time. Like you said, I remember reading about that in your book and having that realization for myself. And I've been fired up about it this week because I've had a few people tell me, you know, they couldn't engage in the community that I run, or they don't have time for their own personal development because they're just way too busy at work. And I actually posted a video on LinkedIn today because I'm like, I want to remind people that you own your schedule. If this is important to you, you will get it done, but you're letting other people and other things run your schedule. And one of the things, when I really had this revelation and part of it was after reading your book, I started to zero in on the language that people use, right? And so many people say, oh, I wish I could do that. I don't have time. When if they were honest, they would say, I'm choosing not to do that because I'm doing something else. Yeah. And usually I'm choosing to do something else is to avoid some kind of pain instead of producing something useful for yourself. It's always been astonishing to me that as human beings, we'll often sit around constantly worrying about things we are not, you know, things we haven't done or things that where we're falling short of other people. Or, uh, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day that uh, he's probably got a hundred million, $120 million net worth, but he torments himself all the time because his brother has got a quarter of a million or billion dollar net worth. And so he goes around all the time thinking about what a schlub he is because he's only worth $120 million, but he's Ugh. comparing himself to only one person yes. on the planet, you know, and choosing to make himself miserable by, um, you know, thinking about the gap between where he is and where he thinks he ought to be. Yeah. And you touched on another big issue there for people, which is comparison. And I have a whole chapter in my book dedicated to that because I've dealt with it. I've seen so many people hold themselves back, right? Because they get so much anxiety comparing themselves to others who seemingly are ahead of them in some sort of race or game in life that doesn't actually exist. Right. And I think a lot of people are setting goals and intentions with their career based on what they see other people doing rather than spending that time, as you mentioned, really reflecting on where they want to go with their career and what their zone of genius is and what really makes them happy and what true success really means for them, right? So when you, when you talk to people who are dealing with those challenges and really getting pulled in different directions, dealing with that comparison, you know, how do you help them with that? Well, the first step in any kind of change process is commitment. And so if I ask the person, would you be willing to make a commitment to feeling better in your body every day. See, if this person comes to me and says, Dr. Hendricks, would you help me lose weight? I say, absolutely not. 
but I will help you do something that will cause you to lose weight, which is to feel better and better in your body every day so that you won't, won't want to pollute it anymore. And because I've found that people that get focused on an outcome like losing weight that they don't have any control over, overlook the things they have control over, like what you put in your mouth every day. You know, that's something that every one of us has control over, but people start obsessing about their weight and then they feel elated if they've lost a pound and bummed out if they've gained a pound. But it's not the point. The point is increasing the level of well-being in yourself every day and your weight will shift as a result of that. I know because uh, mine did. And so we need to get focused, first of all, on commitment and commitment to the right kinds of things, not just a commitment to making $10 million, but a commitment to having the wealth you want and also enjoying the wealth you have. To me, wealth is about having what you really want, what your heart really wants, and it's about what makes you feel wealthy. You know, some people will feel wealthy having $100 in the bank, and another people won't feel wealthy if they have $100 million. I was once taking, uh, I was once in Nepal, and there was a, a, a little monk who was taking me around to uh, show me a temple that uh, he had to go get the key to, and he went and got the key to it, and then he showed me into this little temple. And after we went in there, he came out, and he said that, that he wondered if I could help him with something. And I said, what is it? And he said that he was saving up money. Um, would I give him basically a dime? Because he was saving up money to buy a pair of rubber flip-flops. That was what he really wanted. And could I help him with that? You know, <laughs> you know that was a life change for me that this, you know, this was all that needed to happen to make this guy's dream come true, you know? So it was an honor for me to get him a pair of rubber flip-flops, you know? He was barefooted. So to right. his life, his life became 100% better just because he could walk around in rubber flip-flops. So wherever you are on the spectrum, it doesn't matter about how much wealth you want to create. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with you being a multimillionaire and I'm fine with you not. It doesn't matter. But what I really know will fulfill you is pledging yourself to the gradual expression of your genius every day so that your genius can then have a positive effect on other people. I've been around the world now 30 sometimes, and that's what I've found really turns people on in every culture I've ever been with. It's the opportunity to make their creative dreams come true. And to me, that's sacred territory. And any of us, you're in this line of work too, any of us in that line of work I think are doing holy work because we're helping people bring forth their real potential. And I know that feels so good in me that I want everybody else to feel that good too. Oh, I love that. And it reminds me of a, a couple of different things. One, my daughter asked the other day about, we had come home from a friend's house and asked us a question about like why our friends were rich or why we were poor, or why we weren't rich or, you know, something about, you know, judging our position in society or something. And I had to quickly come back and say, you know, it's always, it's relative, right? We're always going to have more money than some people and less money than others. Like there's no, I don't really see there's the rich and poor. 
obviously as a, as a societal class, you can look at those things, but at an individual level, there are always people who have more money, always people who have less, always people who have better titles and less titles and more experience and less experience. And we're all kind of on this journey, you know, on our own journey, doing different things. And when I think about, I was going to ask you how you define success. And for me, I just think about it. Am I happy with my life? Am I satisfied? Am I fulfilled? Right. And if you are, then it doesn't matter if other people are making more money than you. Yeah, it's it's not something worth thinking about. The only thing worth thinking about is, am I bringing forth my creative genius? And am I doing that in such a way that other people can be inspired by that, too? Mm. I know for a fact that that is life at its best on this planet. I haven't seen anybody else that's having a better time as long as they're doing that thing. And there's so many things that go on in our negative thinking. You know, one is comparing ourselves to other people. Another one is just kind of beating up on yourself for not being where you think you ought to be. But imagine if we spent the amount of time we spend criticizing and having negative thoughts on doing things that actually have a potential for bringing forth our genius. Like here we start people with going in a room by themselves for 10 minutes and just asking themselves the following question. Hmm what do I love to do more than anything else? And then we tell them to take three breaths and then ask themselves the question again. So they go in a little room and they do this meditation where they ask themselves that question. And then they take three easy breaths and then they ask themselves that question again. So it's like a 10 minute guided meditation focused only on breathing and asking yourself what you most love to do. I'll tell you, sometimes people come out of that room and they say, I got it. You know, uh, I don't need to do anything because <laughs> yeah. they've had such a powerful awakening just in that 10 minutes. Because how many times in your life do you actually have an invitation to sit down and think about what you most love to do? Right. And so the power of commitment, I want to keep focusing on that because Everything changes the moment you make a sincere, heartfelt commitment. I always say the longest journey any human being ever makes is 12 inches from their head down to their heart. Mm. Because if you can get your head and your heart aligned behind a goal that's meaningful to you, you become virtually unstoppable. And sitting down and doing that is one of the most important things you'll ever do in your life. I've never seen it take more than an hour for anybody to really figure out what they love to do and how they could do it more in real life. So it's just avoiding that hour. That's where yes. know, a lot of people think about doing that hour. And then they think, well, maybe I'll be able to do that after I have a couple of martinis. And right. Or I've got, e evening, I've got emails to respond I've to got email, or social media, whatever. Yeah. Right? I'm overdue at my bowling club or whatever the issue is. You know, I'm we'll behind on the latest Netflix series, whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, there's always things for us to do. And we put off doing that really important work, which goes back to owning your schedule, owning your time, Einstein time and blocking that time to do the important thing. Last thing I'll ask you, okay, we talked about finding that genius zone and what we really love to do for those that have found that and they're looking to spend more time and continue to spend time in that area. What can we do to make sure that we continue to spend time in our genius zone, possibly even spend more time? As you mentioned, you went from 30 to 50 to 70 to 90%. Is there like a regular check-in process that you do? How does that work? My suggestion, my strong suggestion 
is put genius time in your calendar. Don't leave it to chance. Be proactive about it. Take charge. Start at the beginning of the week and say, okay, I'm going to put my 10 minutes here, or I'm going to go to 20 minutes this week, and I'm going to be 3.20 this afternoon, and then 11.40 tomorrow morning. You know, so actually put it in your schedule, because if you don't, then you're running on default. And default is often not our friend in the area of genius, because we will often default into the zone of excellence rather than making the bold leap, the big leap into your genius zone. I love it. I love it. I'm going to check in on a regular basis with mine and make sure that's built in. I hope everybody listening uh, is going to build in that time for their own zone of genius. Okay, this has been fantastic. As always, I really appreciate it. The new book is called The Genius Zone, and it's available now, I assume, on Amazon and anywhere else people can get books. Every Everywhere. It's available everywhere. And I'll tell you what's amazing to me as an author is the audio book is the one that's really selling maybe because it's the summer, you know, and, mm. uh, but um, that's fine with me. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I've just noticed that that's the one that's selling big. So if you're an audio book lover, enjoy that one. And if you're a regular reader, enjoy that, but yes, it's out. I love it. All right. So the genius zone. And if you haven't read the big leap, make sure you get that book as well as all the books that Gay has out there. Dr. Hendricks, thank you again for coming on and spending time with us. It was absolutely wonderful and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Andy. Be well. All right. That will do it for my interview with Dr. Gay Hendricks, all about the genius zone. Thank you so much for listening. As always, this podcast is sponsored by my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life. If you have not yet gotten a copy and read the book, I highly recommend you get that book as well as The Big Leap and The Genius Zone and other books by Dr. Gay Hendricks because they are so good. Go out and get mine as well and take lots of notes and really design the career that you truly want. And don't forget, we have some bonus resources on our website as well. If you go to ownyourcareerownyourlife.com, just click on bonus and there are bonus resources right there, including the five steps to owning your career, the five most common career mistakes, and I even share my morning routine on there, which a lot of people ask about as well. So go grab those, start putting them into action, and let me know what you think. And thanks again for listening. I will see you next time.